This is the Convergent Science Network podcast. Leading researchers in the domain of neuroscience, brain theory and technology are interviewed by Paul Verschur and Tony Prescott. This is Paul Verschur with the Convergent Science Network podcast. And I'm speaking with uh, Aldo Genovesio, who um, is here as a speaker of our summer school. And Aldo, you you study the prefrontal cortex in the monkey. So why why what's so interesting about prefrontal cortex? Why are you looking at this structure? Yeah, the prefrontal cortex is, is very interesting for um, many reasons, and uh, my interest in the prefrontal cortex is now related to uh, all the integrative capacity that the prefrontal cortex has and um, uh, in the ability of the prefrontal cortex to generate goals based on uh, uh, different type of computations. And I was always interested in the computations that uh, um, an area like the prefrontal cortex can mm -hmm. perform that are very interesting and uh, how the information mm -hmm. can be combined in the prefrontal cortex in order to reach a goal. Mm -hmm. And um, So, but now... in so the prefrontal cortex in primates is um, in some sense related to complex behavior, plans, executive control, working memory, attentional selection, integration, associative learning, rule learning. That's quite a list of, of functions. Yes. So are there some underlying underlying dimensions to, to all mm -hmm. these different functions? I think that what we, we do in neurophysiology, we try to um, understand... Uh, uh, first, uh, uh, the role of the prefrontal cortex for each of these uh, functions independently. And um, after we, we try to understand if uh, we can explain the same data, for example, this is the case of a working memory. Uh, for a long time, we, we thought that many tasks, uh, uh, many task activity was related just to a working memory of a stimulus. And after we um, discovered that um, a lot of this activity could be explained by just an attentional effect. So we um, try to um, understand each of these uh, functions uh, separately, but also together to understand what is uh, really uh, what, which function come to a play in, in, uh, in a specific task. Mm -hmm. But uh, one common uh, ground could be uh, found in the um, role of the prefrontal cortex in the generation of goals. Mm -hmm. And this is a difference that the prefrontal cortex can have also compared to other areas like the parietal cortex that uh, represents space and time, for example, numbers, mm -hmm. different magnitudes, but doesn't have this capacity that uh, the prefrontal cortex has to be connected to the premotor cortex in a special way to generate goals. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so how do you study this ability to generate or maintain goals and, and strategies in prefrontal cortex? We uh, designed uh, a, a task that we called uh, strategy task uh, um, in order to uh, and try to understand uh, how the representation of uh, future and previous goal are represented in the brain. And uh, this task was require, um, requiring the monkey to um, making a choice based on the repetition or not of a cue from the previous trial. And the task was uh, organized in a way in which the monkey mm, mm, could maintain in memory the uh, information about the future goal. And we could study, because there was a delay before the monkey could plan a movement, in this way we could study, for example, in that period, the neural correlate of maintaining in memory a future mm -hmm. goal. So this mm -hmm. is a, a, an approach to correlate the mm, mm -hmm. neural activity with the behavior. You have a monkey that cannot make a choice. You study that... Um, uh, you, you study the neural activity in the moment, in that moment, and you look at the, how the information is maintained. Mm -hmm. And we can study the representation of future goal. And if we ask the money in the strategy task to remember also the, what the monkey did before in order to perform mm -hmm. uh, the current trial, we can also study what the monkey, uh, what is the representation for a monkey of what the monkey did in the past. Mm -hmm. But now, so, so what you also emphasize there, that monkeys already come to the task pre-equipped, if you want, with some, some standard strategies that they, that they use in these tasks. Yes, we, mm, it was discovered by Betsy Burra in the National Institute of Health, we were working with Steve Wise, that when monkeys learn to associate 
set of stimuli to a set of responses, uh, they just uh, they, they 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 do something more than just learning the association, but they. Uh, they, they, because they understand the underlying structure of the task, they are able to apply two strategies. One we call the repeat stay strategy. That every time that the stimulus repeats, the monkey needs to stay with the same response. And the other strategy is a chain shift strategy in which the monkey um, shifts goal every time that the stimulus is, uh, mm -hmm. is different. Uh, this is because each stimulus is associated only with one response. So the monkey can apply these two strategies. Mm -hmm. And uh, they found the lesions of specific areas of the prefrontal cortex is able to um, uh, damage the, the, the use of this strategy. Co it compromises the use of these strategies mm -hmm. while the learning is still, um, uh, is still going mm -hmm. on. So the monkeys are able to learn the association, but they cannot use the strategy. So it's something different than just learning the association, but sure. it's something more of mm -hmm. a higher order. Mm -hmm. level. Right. So, um, but so now what you found in, in a subregion of prefrontal cortex, you in some sense found cells that, that are responding to these goals, but also that responding to these strategies. So what's exactly the the kind of physiology that, that you encountered there? Yeah, we we found um, a combination of signal at the at the level of a, of a single cell. This is the power of our methodology of the behavioral neurophysiology because we can investigate what a neuron does, if uh, the same neuron combines different information or not. And we find neurons that are able to combine a very abstract representation such as a strategy with uh, information about the goal, so about what will be the, the goal that the monkey is going to choose or with the previous goal. So they, uh, they, they encode the conjunction of goal and, uh, and strategy. Mm -hmm. And this is also another difference between prefrontal and parietal cortex, the ability mm -hmm. of uh, encoding conjunctions mm -hmm. of uh, right. um, factors, mm -hmm. or in this case, a strategy right. or, or a goal. Yeah, because in this test, the monkey is trained to, uh, let's say, reach for certain locations or look at certain locations in order to get a reward, and that's also the association it learns, right? There's a cue, the cue is placed in space somewhere, yeah. and then dependent on the correct response, um, it will get a uh, juice reward or exactly, something of yeah. this kind, right? So the goal is now a location in yeah. this task space. Yeah. And and what, what I found interesting is indeed, you have these conjunctive cells now. So these are cells that would respond to, let's say, the cue, um, the goal, or maybe the strategy. Um, so, so you, but you found different combinations here, right? Because with some of the cells you measured from in this part of prefrontal cortex were, were specific to location, to goal. Exactly. Right? While others... We're more mixed in their in their response. So what's the kind of regularity that you extract from that? Yes, it's difficult to know how the information combine, not to understand the way why the information combine in a way uh, rather than than another. We but we found that the higher order information, the strategy was not only. Um, encoded together with, with the goal, but also with the stimulus feature. For example, you could have a neuron that was encoding uh, the stimulus A that was leading to a strategy of to the uh, stay uh, to the repeat stay strategy, but not to the change shift strategy. So mm -hmm. both stimuli and goals could be associated to strategy in a very particular mm -hmm. way. But what I was saying today is that. Uh, although this is a common rule, we have exception, and when we have an exception, we try to understand why we have an exception. We found uh, that uh, looking at the data, we found that um, neurons that were encoding the future goal, what you, we are going to do next, uh, when we looked at the same neuron, we, we didn't see a signal related to the previous goal. So mm -hmm. these neurons are encoding what you want to do in the future, but they don't know what you did in the past. Why did you expect that it might reflect your past goal? Be, this, this task is a task that um, requires the monkey to, to remember the goal. So we, we are in an in a experimental condition where we re require the monkey to, to, to know the goal. Mm -hmm. Uh, to remember the goal, because based on the previous goal, the monkey will decide the next goal. But, using one, but one thing that I don't understand, because on the one hand, it's an association task, right? You get yeah. the cue, and yeah. now you have to go to a certain location. Okay. Yes. That you learn these pairs. You're trained, and as a monkey, you're trained for many months on these pairs. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. So then, how does your previous goal figure into this? 
uh, experiment in now we're experiment we had two tasks we had one learning task where the monkey were applying also the strategy and one only strategy task the strategy task actually didn't task the monkey to associate stimuli to response it was just asking to uh, implement a strategy mm -hmm. so um, in this case the monkey was just uh, just needed to I remember the previous goal in order to choose the next. Okay. But without, without, because today I, I, I simplified mm -hmm. a little bit the task. But so there's a dependency then between these goals. So exactly. Instance, if yes. the first goal is left lower corner, then the next one might be right upper corner. Yeah, Some depends, regularity it, of the Exactly. Kind. Depending mm -hmm. on, the, um, on the next queue. If the queue is the same, the monkey has to use the right. repeat stay, otherwise the chain shift. Exactly. So, but so the queue is then informing the monkey about the rule it should follow. Uh, the fact that it's the same or different. Right, yes. exactly. Yeah. But then, so, so, so now here we have this task. We understand the manipulation. We understand the role of memory. Um, and now you find two things. And one is we have uh, sort of a bag, if you want, a collection of cells with variable responses, right? Some, some are strategy-specific. Others are conjunctive. They mix different aspects of the task. But in some sense, they're not reflecting the memory of the task. Yes. So that would give you a, a rather incomplete representation. So in this case, where do you think that the memory of the previous goal resides? Is it still within the system and you were just unlucky? You didn't see no, no, it? No, we, we found it. We found a, a signal related to the memory of a previous goal, but it's never a, that signal is never in the same neuron that represents the signal that represents the future goal. So mm -hmm. it is there, the representation of a previous goal, of a previous spatial goal, but in neurons that are different mm -hmm. from the neurons that represent the, pre the future okay. goal. And you see this as a principle? That's really a, an okay. organizational principle? What I, what, I, what I think is that, for example, if you go to buy food, for example, in a grocery store, no, you have a list of objects or food that you need to, to buy, and, for example, you see milk, mm -hmm. you, you take the milk, this is your future goal, and you mm -hmm. put uh, your milk uh, with you, you buy it. And uh, if you see the milk again, you don't buy it again, because the, the milk now... It was a future goal before, but now it's a previous goal. So there is probably there is the need for us to uh, perform uh, what we call output monitoring function. It is mm -hmm. to uh, in each instant to know what is which goal is still pending and which goal is accomplished. Because mm -hmm. if it, if a goal is still pending, we need to accomplish it. Right. So and uh, we can do it in uh, even in very simple tasks like uh, like buying food in a grocery store. Mm -hmm. uh, but what the results say, showing it, um, a separation of representation within the prefrontal cortex between future and, and previous goal, is that the, um, having two separate uh, representations may facilitate um, an operation of monitoring mm -hmm. on these two representations. Okay. If we want to know if something was done or not, we look where mm -hmm. information it is. So I don't know from the computational perspective how this mm -hmm. sounds reasonable, mm -hmm. but uh, it looks like that at least um, in our data we see that we have this right. distinction between the two, at but least no, in our task. Right, but then is this representation of the previous goal uh, only only pertaining to the, the previous trial or does it have a variable depth is the monkey also representing the goal 10 trials back okay uh, I uh, actually this mm, I, do, I don't think that I never did a very sophisticated analysis of two trials back uh, maybe there could be an effect but was so small to be identified with normal statistic analysis maybe at the population level there could have been a small mm -hmm. effect, but was nothing uh, visible, let's okay. say. So I think that if there is an effect, is small about two. And behaviorally, do you have the sense that behaviorally the monkey keeps a, a, a memory depth that's larger than than one trial? Uh, this in this task, we we yeah, mm, we we don't know okay. because of this uh, task. Yeah, right. uh, we there are other studies that show that mm, prefrontal cortex can maintain more than one uh, mm -hmm. trial in right. memory, but maybe this trial was not the trial that was um, asking the performance right, exactly. to, to maintain for okay. two trials. Yeah. But now the other thing is that of the cells that you measured, you have about, let's say, you then try to classify your different cells, right? So some are conjunctive and some are strategy-related yeah. and so on. But it's, it's interesting that these classifications stop at around 30%, right? So yeah. you always have a large subset of cells that have no interpretation. 
exactly. So in your mind, what are those cells doing? Let's say that when I say that 30% of cells are representing the future goal, mm-hmm. we have to think that maybe other 10% are representing the, the previous goal or another 10% can represent the stimulus feature. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know, I cannot tell you now how... Um, what is the number of cells that don't represent any variable of a task? Mm-hmm. But this is an interesting question. To know, uh, of all the variables that we studied, how many cells mm-hmm. were out of, out of the task? Right. So I don't know. Okay. Exactly no, because there's another aspect to this, right? That in some sense, we are interpreting uh, the way in which the monkey brain is, is describing a task, right? So we say, okay, there are goals, there are cues, there are rules. That's it. That's what we're going to look for. Yeah. But it's not impossible that that monkey brain actually is is introducing other aspects to a task description that we're not looking for. Exactly. So, yeah. so, mm-hmm. so, I agree. so, so, do you have any idea what these additional factors could be that could help you to interpret these mm. unclassified cells? In um, okay, yes, uh, we by chance we looked at the at the activity because in the exploration phase of the data, we looked at the activity after the delay after the period of presentation of a stimulus, it could be one second, one second and a half, and two seconds, for example. Mm-hmm. And we saw that uh, there was, a, I think, a 15% of cells that were modulated by the duration of the previous queue. Uh, mm. So that was an irrelevant uh, information, and we were able to look at this because we, by, by looking at the raster, we noticed mm-hmm. that there was an incredible effect in some cells. So uh, we, right. we said, oh, what is this? Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we, now we know that this is a, an encoding of elapsed time that mm-hmm. couldn't not ex- be explained by the reaction time. So we mm-hmm. did several analysis to um, uh, factor out, uh, for example, the, the reaction time effect. And uh, so uh, we, we, by chance, we looked mm-hmm. at this cell. So you, you never know if right. a cell doesn't do anything because mm-hmm. maybe you didn't look at the right variable. Right, exactly. Or, yeah, mm-hmm. So you're right. So, so you would say mixed in to, this, to these features that are encoded are also temporal aspects yeah. of the task. But I cannot tell you how many of these cells sure. are encoding because mm-hmm. it, this analysis may not have an end. So mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. you never know when to stop of to analyze course. it, to mm-hmm. look at combination and... but. So at, at this moment, I don't know if these cells are encoding okay. some other factor. Very nice. Okay. Um, so now, so now we we have we have these uh, uh, we have an understanding of what this prefrontal cortex does. It, it represents parts of the task, but also some linking in time, like the previous goal, the current goal, um, or, or a possible future goal. Um, and now, you interpret this this these representations in terms of output monitoring. Yes. So why mm-hmm. do you think output monitoring is a good way to describe these these properties? Mm. Uh, I think that this the, the separation of of goals in the two networks is not output monitoring per se, but can facilitate output monitoring if we assume that uh, uh, some other cell will look at this activity to decide if. Uh, um, if an external observer that we can think that can be another area or another group of neurons will decide if uh, a a goal was accomplished or not looking simply at the presence of activity in one of these two Mm -hmm. networks. This is a possibility. I may be also wrong. Um, But uh, we know that we have failure on monitoring in prefrontal patients, so it's uh, one of the problems of people with prefrontal damage. For example, they they are not able to um, um, accomplish a series of goals. They get confused. They don't know if they did something or not. So we know that also lesions of the prefrontal cortex or um, patients with dementia have problems in these tasks. So mm-hmm. it's also related to some disease, so mm-hmm. psychiatric or uh, neurological mm-hmm. disease. So, but monitoring in this case means something very specific, such as um, goal achievement, or is goal achievement an operationalization to measure something that's broader? Could be broader. Could okay. be broader. We know that um, uh, we, from, but uh, I think that we need to monitor many variables in what we do. For example, in maybe we will talk later about mm-hmm. uh, our my last studies, mm-hmm. but well, I can anticipate that we see that goal is important, and mm-hmm. that it's not only in prefrontal cortex important to encode what we are going to do, but mm-hmm. it's also important to monitor what we are doing, mm-hmm. what we are finishing to do. Uh, so goal may mm-hmm. be a special relevance, okay. uh, not only when we look at the future, but mm-hmm. also when we look at what we did. 
And even when this was, mm, this is not important mm -hmm. anymore for what we are okay. doing now. But w would you say this frontal area is sort of imposing an intentionality on, on, on the world? Because you could argue, look, it, this frontal area is just filtering everything that this animal is engaged with, with respect to goals. Yes. And just saying, look, okay, which of my goals did I achieve? Where am I, viol where am I failing to achieve a goal? So it's really this massive goal filter. Is that is that a reasonable way to look at it? Yeah, I think that there is a, a goal can be the main function. And mm -hmm. uh, I give you another example, and that we we have uh, looking at the correlation between neurons. So we okay, we can we, we recorded several neurons simultaneously, and uh, because we recorded for many many days and uh, with several electrodes and time, we can have two conditions, one in which we have two future goal cells recorded simultaneously, and another in which we have two previous goal cells recorded simultaneously. Mm -hmm. and we can look at the correlation between future and future cell mm -hmm. and past and past cell, and we see that the cor they're correlated only the neurons that represent the future goal, but the neurons that represent the previous goal are not correlated. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's true that prefrontal cortex encode goals, but maybe the future goal has a special relevance that we can see from the correlated activity that can be a way of drive the promoter cortex mm -hmm. in, in a choice. Right, in, exactly. Uh, in the selection of mm -hmm. one course of action. So the correlation you, you observed is only between these goal cells? The future goal cells. It's only the future goal cells. Yes. Okay. And when we look at the cells that are encoding what you did before, you and you find by chance in, in the same recording two of these cells they are not correlated mm -hmm. so they don't okay. so this is still mysterious for us we okay. have these results but we still don't know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but are you are you interpreting this like future goals have to be included in monitoring in the future so i have to sort of maintain these representations and have to make them part of a possible task set or something of that kind uh, well these old goals in some sense not don't matter that much anymore. I can slowly forget about them, so I don't have to maintain them. Maybe they don't need to activate simultaneously other neurons. Mm -hmm. Maybe they don't need mechanisms of uh, temporal summation, for example, okay. to activate neurons in a, in a competitive way uh, to generate a behavior in the promotor cortex and mm -hmm. motor cortex later. So, but Okay, so that means you see these goal cells as, as also organizers of neural activity that, for instance, neural activity pertaining to cues that you might see in actions and so on. Yeah, for now we know about the future goal. We we don't know if this uh, correlated activity can apply to other couples or mm -hmm. pairs of neurons. We don't right. know that. We don't know if the, the dichotomy is between past and future. Okay. Now it looks like that. Mm -hmm. uh, unless we may we may discover one day there was another reason, another sure. reason. But now mm -hmm. it looks like it's past future. Okay, so that means there, there you have in in the in the in the response the neural response in prefrontal cortex, you find that these future goal cells are tightly coupled in their yeah. activity, while past goal cells are yeah. not coupled. Exactly. And also, does that imply that these future goal cells are also strongly coupled to future cues? Do could be, could be, yeah. Oh, but yeah, there's no data on that. There is no data, but you are right. Could be, we don't know. Mm, Would you predict hypothesis. that? Would you predict that? Uh, if uh, I, it's difficult to know, it depends on the task. We need to imagine a task to think that. No, but look, if it's the same task, wouldn't you suggest? Look, I have a future goal. Then I use that. I use that state to also already predict. Ah, if that's my goal, then I would expect this cue, and mm. I expect whatever this kind because of in response. This task, mm, in this task, the, mm, uh, the the goal that the monkey is achieving doesn't uh, predict the future. The, the, the next goal okay. after the future. So okay. it's difficult to yeah, know that, if. Okay. So it, it stops there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, I understand. Mm. So now, so now we have a bit of an idea about the representation of a task. Uh, in prefrontal cortex, organized around goals, future and past. Yeah. And then, in some sense, you also followed this, this notion of a hierarchical structuring of the frontal lobe, and you move to the frontal pole, which is sort of really the structure all the way. Yeah, in we the moved front. at the end of a brain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> There was nothing else. <laughs> yes, beyond that, After, that's yeah. it, right? Yeah, There's only the skull. Yeah. So, um, w what did you expect to find there? Yeah, I think that we we considering that this area is a, in a special location, with that is farther mm, compared to the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex from the premotor cortex. Uh, we were thinking, and also considering that this is a primate innovation, is um, an area that 
should solve new problems maybe in evolution. We, I don't know, maybe a trivial idea was to find more complexity mm-hmm. that we fought to be more integration of right. information. Like. Which also would be consistent, I think, with the literature. No? Exactly. There's really this idea like there's some, yeah, some right. hierarchy, it gets more and more abstract, but all the features are sort of abstracted, right? Exactly, this, this exactly, is, yes, uh, yes. Okay. And uh, so we we found that the frontal cortex had a, had a completely different function that was it is it is a monitoring function. So it has mm-hmm. just a, at least we could study the same the cells in only uh, a few tasks, but we found that these cells are active only when the the monkey receives the feedback about the correctness or not of the behavior, and it represents the goal that the monkey mm-hmm. achieved. Uh, we don't find uh, any other signal of the signals that I described previously, like the representation of a stimulus or the representation of the past goal or a prospective mm-hmm. representation of a future goal. Nothing. But mm-hmm. when I say nothing, really nothing. <laughs> no example. <laughs> so there, no, not a few. Was mm-hmm. It was really impossible to find right. example. And we found this very clear signal in 30% of the mm-hmm. cell around the monitoring But it's time. very surprising, right? Because yeah. is there anything special about, let's say, the anatomical organization of this structure compared to other parts of prefrontal cortex? Yeah, if, if the, the special um, position is farther from the premotor cortex, and uh, so it speaks more with other prefrontal area than with the premotor cortex compared mm-hmm. to the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. Right. So this, this is kind of special, and mm. Mm, so it's more... Uh, distant from the behavior. Yeah, but, so but, but this also means this is very odd, right? Because we have we have this cortical circuit, uh, the different parts of, of frontal cortex will be tightly interconnected. In this earlier area you measured from closer to the motor cortex itself, you find um, cells related to future goals, uh, present goal, past mm-hmm. goals. So there's a clear temporal window, mm-hmm. you would believe, given the anatomy, that this should all percolate up towards yeah, I agree, the pole. Yeah, I agree too. Yeah, this was and it's not there. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, these these two areas are connected to each other. They have exactly. reciprocal pronation, but the information that maybe comes up to the frontal pole doesn't activate the frontal pole the way in which we, we, we yeah. think about. So it's Yeah, but how could you get this selectivity? Because that means the front... The, Prefrontal cortex deals with monitoring and goals. It, it operates in a certain temporal window mm. with future and past included. Now the, you, you go to the, all the way in the front to the to the frontal pole, and it lives in the now, right? It's completely just now, completely yeah. locked we to have, the task. Yeah, we have this activity even in the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, mm. but it's not the only activity that we That's find. That's right. So it, mm, this is what what I was saying that it looks like a, a filtering uh, function is applied, where everything else go is gone and it remains, mm-hmm. but. Um, Actually, we, we need really a model to understand mm-hmm. the function, why we need cells like these. Or right. I but really would you know. say that, does that imply that the brain, all the way in the front, um, it's almost the most exclusive spot of the cortex, um, is actually completely preoccupied with just assessing how well we do with our real-time performance yes. now? Would you no. buy that? Would yeah, you? Maybe this is, as we were discussing today, this looks not so important in a simple task like this. Mm-hmm. In a more complex task, uh, can uh, we we might understand better the mm-hmm. function of these cells. We might think, okay, without these cells, how could we do? Mm-hmm. But uh, in this task, it's um, it's uh, it is more difficult to understand their role. But what I was um, thinking is that this signal can help. Uh, we don't know why this signal can mm-hmm. do that, but can help the transfer of information. But is this this observation consistent with the clinical literature? Like patients with lesions mm-hmm. only to the to the frontal pole. The problem is that it's never only the frontal pole. It's very the lesions are very broad, especially frontal pole mm-hmm. is a part of a larger area of that is damaged. But mm-hmm. um, so it's very difficult to know now. Mm-hmm. From so this is why we study also monkey because mm-hmm. it's uh, neuropsychology in humans is very mm-hmm. limited uh, limitative on that. Right. But so um, so, so if, if we again look at this, this hierarchy of processing in the frontal lobe, um, then w- what you were saying is, okay, um, areas like orbital frontal cortex, so on, might have a, a good understanding of the task and the strategies you use, 
but the only area that actually really know whether you succeeded, really know yeah. success, is, is the frontal pole. In a, in a very unique way, yes, that doesn't do anything else, and it has a pure signal, pure, until we, we find something else that we'll have of to course. <laughs> But it is that. Orbitofrontal cortex, we studied also orbitofrontal cortex with the second strategy task, uh, more simple, and we found that there is an activity related to the, the goal at the moment of the feedback, but this, is, this activity doesn't depend on the success. So mm-hmm. these neurons are just representing the goal as uh, left or right, but uh, they don't consider the success of a task. Right. So but then, and then you see this, so frontal pole monitors now the task, and it says success, we did it. Mm-hmm. And then do you believe it's that information that percolates back into other areas of the frontal cortex to represent the previous goal? Uh, I may okay. Let's assume that there is already the representation about uh, the previous and the future goal, mm-hmm. about, about the future goal, and this activity about the future goal need to move from a group of neuron to another group of neuron. And let's assume that there is already a connection between the future goal cells and the previous goal cells, but this connection is not enough mm-hmm. to activate. This is an hypothesis. Not sure. enough to activate the yeah. the previous goal uh, mm-hmm. activity and may need an additional input. This is a possibility. Mm-hmm. It may give an additional input that together with the input from a future goal cell may activate the mm-hmm. previous goal okay. cell. But just, right. yeah, this is just a, a, a scheme uh, sure. just to reason about. But right, exactly, because the difficulty with that scheme is that in some you really start to think about it as different modules performing specific operations. Yeah. Right? I, I, I don't think that, this, there could be a dissociation. We, we, we found future and goal cells uh, in all the penetration. So mm-hmm. I don't think about a, segreg- a special segregation of these cells. Right. So this is not my idea. But there could be, um, because these neurons are, uh, belong to different population of cells, there could, we know already that mm-hmm. there, is, there are two different networks, right. partially overlapped. Mm-hmm. Very, you know, they're overlapping, it's very small. We have few hybrid cells. Mm-hmm. So we have already a segregation in the same uh, area mm-hmm. of these uh, neurons. Right. But would you, would you say there is any critical anatomical difference between the circuits in the frontal lo- lobe and our pole, sorry, and let's say premotor cortex? Yeah, premotor cortex has this um, uh, connection with the motor cortex, mm-hmm. so it's, it's very close to the... But in output. terms of the local circuit, really how the cells are wired up together... Um, bet- within each area, mm-hmm. it's difficult to say. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, that's interesting, right? Yeah. Because even so, you find these rather variable response patterns yeah. in a neural substrate that at the local level is relatively uniform. Exactly. Right? We don't know. Yeah, we don't mm-hmm. know uh, what is you know the, the, the difference in activity of uh, cells in different layers. Right, you know, exactly. this is often a limitation of any neurophysiology that we mm-hmm. don't know where we're recording. Often we don't know if it's a pyramidal neuron that. An, an output outside mm-hmm. or in an interneuron. Right, so exactly. We, we, we will need, we will mm-hmm. do that probably mm-hmm. with, there are now new electrodes with multi-contacts mm-hmm. and uh, probably right. this will be the answer to these uh, questions to so, so understand the microcircuit. Of course. Yeah. So how many cells in the, in the frontal pole could you actually characterize in this way? How we big recorded a hundreds, uh, yeah, maybe hundreds of, of cells. And yeah. how many could you classify? These Let's terms? say it was 30%. So significant, yeah, a significant yeah, yeah, proportion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you believe that this argues against this very hierarchical view on, on the frontal lobes and this hierarchical uh, abstracting yeah. of information towards the frontal pole? Mm. This uh, very specific signal can be a result of an abstraction, of, mm-hmm. uh, can be something because uh, alpha is a very specific signal, can be the result of an abstraction from many other signals, so mm-hmm. in a different way from what we are used to, to think. So mm-hmm. maybe abstraction is not just integration, but is producing something new that could be okay. a monitoring. Of course, abstraction is also to, to, to yeah. remove information, right? Yeah, and to exactly. become specific. Exactly, yes. Okay. So maybe that, mm-hmm. um, but uh, for sure we need to study more the frontal mm-hmm. pole cortex. We still have, a, you know, this is the first study. Sure, of so course. So mm-hmm. our speculation in the case of the frontal pole cortex is very limited to our results. Mm-hmm. And this, is, right. this is, a, is a difference with other areas where we know 
uh, we can think uh, and compare the results from different studies and right. to spend our days comparing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but here we have only this study mm -hmm. and uh, some neuroimaging study mm -hmm. where we know that also uh, only a part of the frontal cortex can be an homologous mm -hmm. area with the monkey prefrontal cortex. Right, exactly. So we have this additional difficulty with the frontal cortex mm -hmm. that we don't know exactly what, uh, mm -hmm. that if there is an homology. Right, exactly. Mm. But that's not necessarily bad. It means there are still quite some experiments yeah, uh, to be It's still a frontal pole. Exactly. I feel that we are still studying the frontal pole mm. uh, with a common uh, origin from, mm -hmm. from right. both uh, human mm. and, and monkey. So now the other thing is that in, so in this frontal area, the monitoring area, goal-oriented goal if you want, um, the question is, of course, also what, what's the kind of information it receives from other areas from other modalities. So actually, mm. if you have a, have a visual cue, what information uh, of the visual cue really enters in this area? And yeah. you could imagine that this, again, may be symbolic and fairly abstract. And for that, you you performed a number of experiments where you start to look at how really very specific aspects of visual stimuli would, would engage with these decision-making circuits. So what was really the, the idea there? You know, here we, we use different modalities. We, uh, in the frontal pole, we use different cues, like orientation, color, mm -hmm. and, uh, and reward. Also, we have this connection with the orbitofrontal cortex, so the, the number of drops mm -hmm. of uh, reward could have been uh, an appropriate cue. But um, we, we didn't find any, uh, mm -hmm. any representation of a cue, mm -hmm. either as a color, an orientation, mm -hmm. or uh, a number of mm -hmm. rewards. This is very interesting because uh, we found an increase of activity that was selective for mm -hmm. the goal in the monitoring phase, no? Yeah. It was not just selective for the goal, but was just a, a ramping up of activity. Mm -hmm. So without using the, the uh, as a cue and uh, a reward, we would we might have thought that this is that was a reward signal, right? With an appetitive meaning, but uh, interesting when we look at the uh, presentation of a reward as cue, we don't see any change of activity. Mm -hmm. the activity remains flat. Right. So th this is very interesting that the reward per se is not able to activate mm -hmm. this uh, this neuron. So it is something that has to do with the monitoring of a success independently of getting something good. Right. So that was, uh, we were lucky to have, uh, to think about having the reward as a cue. Of but course. Otherwise we, yeah. would, we would think about doing that experiment <laughs> now. <laughs> exactly. At least one experiment less is done. <laughs> yes. That's very yeah. good. Now what, so what I was thinking about is that in the, in the next set of experiments where you sort of backtracked again out of the, the frontal pole, um, where you start to look really at, okay, at this, at this rather puzzling question, right? At the responses, so here we have the, the, the frontal cortex. It responds to different aspects of a task, but these responses seem normalized in some sense, right? So even though you might have the physical salience of the stimulus vary, it might be small or big, for instance, or close or far, um, the neural response doesn't seem to be really strongly modulated by these differences in, in, in just the visual aspects or the properties of the stimulus. You're talking about the, the um, uh, distance task? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, yeah we, we, I showed you cells that are encoding the decision no, today. So the decision about which stimulus is farther, which stimulus is longer. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I focused on, uh, on, this, on this aspect. But uh, uh, there are cells that still encode the the feature of the stimulus mm -hmm. and uh, the, the small details of, mm -hmm. of the task. Yeah, but they so don't seem to be strongly modulated by... Look, if, a, if a, uh, a stimulus might be more salient because it's nearby or it's bigger, yeah. right? The response you find in frontal cortex is not that different as to another stimulus that might be further away and smaller. In or do you find modulations there? In this case, we have... Um, in the distance task, we have... Um, uh, we have stimulated a different distance from a center, not mm -hmm. from the not from the animal. Mm -hmm. Maybe from the animal could have been different. Mm -hmm. And uh, we we see actually pretty much the same number of cellular encoding the, with a greater activity uh, that the, st the first stimulus is farther than the second, mm -hmm. or vice versa. So we I don't know if you meant that mm -hmm. we don't see an, um, an unbalanced representation of looking at mm -hmm. the relative representation of which stimulus is mm -hmm. farther. Um, no, so, but what you're looking at are, is really now the, the physical organization of the display and how this yeah. is 
how this percolates into the neural response in the frontal cortex. And mm -hmm. it appears that it seems to be normalized, that these cells actually don't really care about, let's say, saccadic distance or anything like yeah. this. It's just say, no, this is a cue, and the cue is in the display, and I have to represent it. Yeah, right? yeah. so maybe you, you want to say that this is what, what I'm, I'm presenting is an abstract representation. Mm -hmm. It doesn't That's depend... Right on the actual position. So the position exactly. can be very different, but the signal is the same. That's right. So the important thing is that there is a relationship between distance right. with well, the Right, well, you could argue it's like a symbolic representation, yeah. right? Because it's not modulated by the analog properties of, of the cube. Yeah, but we still have, also in this case, cells mm -hmm. with mixture properties. Okay. For example, a very interesting cell is a cell that uh, is encoding, for example, that the second stimulus is farther than the first, but only when the second stimulus is on the top. Okay. So we have uh, cells that are uh, an intermediate level of abstraction. These are very interesting, these cells, that uh, really it depends not only... So this looks like an intermediate representation. That Why are you saying that? Could, you could also argue it's a rule. This cell extracted the rule. The, 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 the final one. Yeah. The final one that represents just uh, which stimulus is farther, independently mm -hmm. of a position, yeah. is just... Uh, it's just the same. No, or, or if you say um, a certain cue um, only when another cue is in a certain position. So you have a conditional. Yeah, the response is... I don't is think that this cells represent a rule because we, the rule is always the same. No? Let's, the, the rule is choose the second stimulus. Choose the, the stimulus that, is farther. That's your behavioral rule. Yes. But you could also argue that the display of the stimuli is following certain rule-like regularities. Mm. So, Freddie, you, have, you, have, you just described a cell yeah. that, that gave a specific response to a certain cue, but mm -hmm. conditional on another cue being in a certain position. Yes. Yeah. So I could say that's a rule that defines that little part of the display. Yeah, yeah, okay. you can say that. Yeah, yeah. You, so, you so these are the rules. In this term exactly. So it's, it not really, it's, not a, it's not really feature encoded, yeah. but it's a rule encoded. Could be, yeah. You, you could, you could think, yeah. It's conditioned to the appearance mm -hmm. of, of a stimulus in a, in a special location, or you may think that more simply is strictly associated mm -hmm. to space, and uh, it cannot generalize more than that. No, right. But I this don't is, know. It's difficult to know. But it's an important distinction yeah, because yeah. in your interpretation, so you're saying, well, prefrontal is not, let's you, if you want, really encapsulated and segregated from this dirty, noisy yeah. outside yeah. world. It's not just the abstract and the beauty. Exactly, <laughs> exactly right? Because <laughs> it's sort of also the, the physical properties of the world yeah. and of the display percolate into its representation. That's yes. what you were saying. Like yeah. That's where you talked about the mixture. Yeah, because right? we know that Neurons in prefrontal cortex care about space, they have receptive fields, you know, they associate. Sure. But uh, some but neurons go beyond that. Others, yeah. maybe they are representing in a conditional way, as you say, more in a rule-like. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's more, I see that, that activity more um, related to the mm -hmm. physical world. Like, but I don't know. Yeah, but wouldn't this be... Uh, it's difficult a, to know. As a physiologist, wouldn't this be, or, or from a computational point, this would be tremendously annoying because here I have this neuron. It sits, it sits all the way behind a huge hierarchy of processing of, in this case, visual stimuli. But where we know we go through areas, like if you're a temporal cortex, where you have very invariant representations to the mm -hmm. world. And now I'm receiving, I'm in the frontal cortex, I'm receiving this kind of information. And I can just do my job so you would, are, you would believe that, of course, you take the most abstract representation so you reduce noise and, 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 and so on, right? So in that sense, in, the, in this perspective, you could argue, well, there's a lot, we lose a lot when we drop that very clear segregation between more analog representations of the world. Mm -hmm. That means they vary with properties yeah. of the world. Yeah, with the distance, this case that are more be, symbolic. And, would and, be and, the distance, but the first exactly. level of analysis right. would be the distance from the center. Right, so, so but, but you seem to be much more permissive than I am. You, you're more like, well, yeah, okay, maybe they vary with properties of the world, but doesn't that mean that your whole concept of how this, this part of the brain is organized mm. and relates to other parts of the brain falls apart in some mm. sense? So uh, my idea is that we have... Okay, a basic representation is similar to the parietal cortex of a metric. For example, the distance or if the stimulus is on the top or on the bottom. And after we have a representation that is very abstract, we have something in the middle. And uh, unfortunately, when I looked at these cells that we don't know what they are, uh, it's very difficult to understand based on the, their, the temporal profile or their activation where they 
mm-hmm. what is their role. So it's, uh, I think that also in this case, we need a model <laughs> to understand <laughs> right, okay. because otherwise mm. very difficult to understand, w- especially why we need certain computation instead of others. Mm-hmm. This is my, my point. Why we need, for example, uh, I desc- I'm describing cells that are encoding which stimulus is further based on the order, first or second, but this is not a requirement of the task because mm-hmm. the monkey has just to say the blue or the red is mm-hmm. further. So we have, uh, also we were talking at the beginning of the interview about this. Do we have neuron that uh, represents something that the monkey doesn't need to know? Mm-hmm. The order is something like that because uh, we could uh, avoid having a representation based on the order, but we still have it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's uh, maybe everything needs to be organized in an in a ordered way. Right. And this is even when the task doesn't require that. Mm-hmm. So, but do you think there's something to be gained to try to reinterpret the responses of these these mixed cells, as you call mm-hmm. them, uh, in, in in a rule in terms of rules? Would that help you? You think to understand how the system works? Or uh, I don't know. It's Actually, a futile exercise. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it can help to conceptualize that mm-hmm. as a rule or as a half a rule. Or I don't mm-hmm. know. It's very difficult to. Okay, yeah. but now, um, so 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 the, the neurons that you looked at. Um, would you say that in the end they operate in a similar encoding space? Like, for instance, they all normalize their responses in some way. That that it's like, for instance, if I would have, let's say, a stimulus that's further away or nearby, do I try to normalize all these responses to say, look, no, the only thing that matters really are my decision variables that tell me something about evidence. I don't want to know anything about, let's say, physical organization of the scene. Or do you really mm. see this mixed? No, no, I see this mixed. Yeah? No, no, okay. The cells that I showed you are the, 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 the pure cells, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. Because uh, otherwise, you know, in a talk, if you start to show a mixed cell, people get confused. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh-huh. They say, for example, a common idea is that, uh, you know, I, uh, we had also problem with some referee in the past, is mm-hmm. that how is possible the cell is representing this if this cell is representing also some other mm-hmm. uh, uh, variables, but mm-hmm. we know that a cell can represent more variables at the same time. But if we present in a talk, for example, a mixture of cell, many people, you know, we need to explain very well mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, sure. what is going on. Absolutely. So if we have mm-hmm. poor cell and we want to make the point that mm-hmm. these neurons make a special mm-hmm. computation. We but use now, it. doesn't it raise another problem? Because here we go. Now you allow these mixed cells. So that yeah. means these, if I'm, I'm reading out, if I'm reading out a mixed cell and the mixed cell is active, I have uncertainty because I don't really yeah, know exactly. is it the physical display or is it because exactly. there's some yeah. important decision information. Yes. So that would mean that uh, if if I have an integration-based model of decision-making, which is a popular way to think about it, that you say, okay, I just integrate my evidence over time and whatever reaches threshold first is what I do, then your mixed cells would, would mess up that whole scheme. Exactly, yeah. So, so you need to... So how are you going to solve that? You need to have... It, it, it is, we can only think about distrib- a distributed way of representing an information that is mixed to mm-hmm. other information and can be still extracted mm-hmm. um, because but all the other information will be will be filtered mm-hmm. out because they they, right. they, they would um, uh, mm, be on the opposite uh, side of, let's uh-huh. say. Right. Mm. Uh, yeah, but, but the point is, of course, this is why I was sort of hoping to find some sort of symbolic encoding. That you mm. say, look, I just care about informational aspects that pertain to my task, mm-hmm. and I'm not biased by salience and so on. Yeah. But now, so that's not what you find, no. right? And and we are already in parts of the prefrontal cortex that are really close to the motor cortex, where we're gonna or premotor, where we're gonna execute our actions. Yeah. So I have to get to, if you want, a pure informational representation in my frontal cortex before I can really make optimal decisions. Exactly, yeah. So where is that happening then? Uh, we It could happen in prefrontal, but as a, as at a certain time and after a certain computation is performed, we don't know. Uh, also, it would be interesting, again, to look at the correlation of these cells, like we were right. saying, if the cells that are representing mm-hmm. a pure signal are more correlated exactly. than the cell. So the <laughs> but have you, have you ever found in any of your experiments a majority of responses being driven by these, let's call them pure cells. No, it's only it's also it's always a minority. Right. Yeah, it's always a minority. No, but this is interesting, right? Yeah. Because this might be telling us that also this idea of just pure rate-based encoding of decision making 
might actually not be the reality of the frontal cortex exactly. because because yeah. if you have these mixed encodings with conjunctive cells further modulated by properties of the display these responses these rates of responding are not informative on on the goals you have to pursue exactly so we we don't know if the information will be extracted from these cells or if these cells are just an intermediate mm -hmm. step for the final computation. Mm -hmm. So this is what we don't know. Right. Uh, is the frontal pole better at that? The frontal pole, for now, we know that there is just one signal. So we right, exactly. So also <laughs> that cannot help you, exactly. right? Exactly. So okay. it's on the opposite uh, um, extreme. But also I was saying today that we don't have to expect every signal uh, present in the prefrontal cortex. Mm -hmm. For example, in the strategy task, in the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, the monkey needed to remember the previous stimulus, but we didn't find mm -hmm. any evidence in, uh, in thousands of cells right, exactly. of the representation of the previous stimulus. Mm -hmm. While in the new task that I was describing mm -hmm. that just require the, in the distance task, mm -hmm. just require a monitoring, that doesn't require mm -hmm. really a monitoring, but right. we, we show that the cells show a monitoring activity. We see that uh, when a stimulus was a goal, it's still mm -hmm. represented, but even if it's not necessary to represent it. Right. But when it was necessary to represent it, in the, mm, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. In the solar type of yeah. frontal cortex, obviously. Yes, this is amazing, right? But would you... So the, so the dominant view on decision-making in, in, in the cortex is... Uh, is uh, the dominant no, no the dominant view is very much integration-based, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. According to this race model or bounded yes. diffusion models. So your data doesn't really fit that model. So in your mind, therefore, these bounded diffusion models are not an accurate description of this system, or is it just something that you haven't looked at sufficiently yet? We No, I don't think that is in contrast with, with those models. It's just a more complex task where we can uh, maybe look uh, at a, a race model um, where we can study the activity based on a, on a race model, mm -hmm. but still we may have competing goals uh, like right and left or different objects mm -hmm. that compete with each right. other, even in, uh, in, in, uh, in my task. But the moment in which that happens, it's very fast. Mm -hmm. So it's very difficult for us to study, uh, at unless we may be study, studying an interpopulation of cells recorded simultaneously, we may understand more what is going on mm -hmm. in the moment of a decision, but the decision is very fast, yeah. So it's very yeah, difficult. Yeah, but still, yeah, you talk about what, Dozens, if not hundreds of milliseconds, right? Yes. But so it's mm, not that fast, is it? But uh, maybe if to, to understand in our task what a single neuron does, I think mm -hmm. that is, is difficult. Okay. Because we, we don't see the representation mm -hmm. of competing alternative because uh, immediately the monkey can make a decision about one goal compared to the other. Mm -hmm. So there is no... Maybe the uncertainty that we can have, you can have with a random dot experiment mm -hmm. where you can manipulate the uncertainty. Here we cannot manipulate the uncertainty. Okay. So it's difficult without right. manipulating it. Okay, but, mm. but wouldn't your data suggest that there must be other modes of, of, of integrating information in prefrontal cortex that is more sophisticated yeah, than think, just adding yeah, up? Yeah, yeah and, uh, information like uh, mm -hmm. the movement of the dot. So I think that the computation that is required here is not too much. Can, it's, I don't know. I cannot see it mm -hmm. in, right. the, in the context of the race, more mm -hmm. race model. Right, exactly. So it's more difficult for me to see mm -hmm. it uh, within right, exactly. the paradigm. Yeah. Now, which is good because I think the race model is, is not necessarily, it's only the beginning of a story yes. on decision-making and certainly not the mm -hmm. end, right? Mm -hmm. um, so now, in your last set of experiments, uh, you, you talked about the encoding of irrelevant information. Yes. This is so, so why would that be interesting? Because in some sense, it's like, I know these people that, that, you know, you go shopping, you get a shopping list, but first they tell you all the things you do not have to get, uh, which seems very inefficient. So so why mm -hmm. would you worry about encoding irrelevant information? Yeah, I think that it's important to encode irrelevant goal. We found that mainly we encode irrelevant goal uh, because we, mm, we may find better way of, uh, reaching a solution. I, for example, think about uh, a, a task in which you need to associate A and B to different positions, but uh, you, you, you perform this task and after a while you understand that you are required only to go right. So mm -hmm. you can avoid taking care of or paying attention to the stimulus. Mm -hmm. Without monitoring, you would continue to perform the task in a more complex way. Right. So I think that we have a lot of situations like that where we can find a shortcut. Uh, okay, sometime. so it's like a, an incremental pruning 
of information yes, in some sense. Yes, I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so what, what's the mechanism there? How does this play out in prefrontal cortex? We Now, my, my study doesn't allow us to understand the way in which this information okay. is used. So we don't have a use mm-hmm. of this information. And so it would be nice to design a task where we can see mm-hmm. how this information... But, but, but how, how rapidly does... Because here, here comes the display. I perform my task, yeah. okay? So I would expect I have all these cells, I have my conjunctive cells, I have whatever. So, so all these cells get allocated to describing this task. Mm-hmm. But now I'm going to figure out that a subset of these descriptions are irrelevant. Yes. So then you would expect these cells start to drift again in their responses mm. in some way. We don't know if these cells were more before. Uh-huh. Because we maybe, you know, in, the, in, the, in learning the paradigm, these cells were double than the cells yep. that we are having now. And now we are just looking at the survivors mm-hmm. of a mm, mechanism that is broader than this with much more neurons involved. And also an interesting point that uh, should be studied is that now we have cells that are encoding the previous goal when it is irrelevant. But what if we start to mm, give wrong messages to the monkey and the mm-hmm. monkey gets confused will the monkey start to monitor other information different right. from goal mm-hmm. and will be the dorsolateral right. prefrontal cortex mm-hmm. the right area where to find that information mm-hmm. so i don't know okay so there are many questions open but you do that. see you would suggest that there is always a goal-driven monitoring of the task to sort of uh, focus on the relevant information. There's a continuous selection process going on there. Is that what you have in mind? I think that yes, but uh, not only that, because we have e- e- also we have relevant goals that are represented. But the interesting thing is that this representation is not so much bigger mm-hmm. than the information about the previous goal that we found mm-hmm. when the goal we monkey had the requirement mm-hmm. to maintain in memory the goal. That was kind of interesting because uh, we don't find big difference when. We need to remember something from mm-hmm. when we don't need at all. Okay. So that. Uh, so how do you explain that? It's very, it's very difficult to to understand that. That could um, this be a non-specific kind of memory response? That I say, whatever you shoot into this prefrontal cortex, you have a memory field, right? So yeah, it will be sort of exactly. automatically maintained, yeah. non-specifically mm-hmm. with respect to the task. Is it? If it's a goal, if it's yeah? a goal, yes. Would you would you buy that interpretation? Um, the the problem now is that. What I what I think is that now we need to uh, be more cautious when we study when we say that the signal is associated to a behavior. Mm-hmm. For example, if we can find neurons that encode a previous goal, even when the previous goal was not uh, uh, a requirement, now when I have a requirement in a task, mm-hmm. I don't know anymore if this is a monitoring activity or a memory activity. Okay. As That's a function right. of uh, okay. uh, of reaching a goal, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. now this is my idea that is we need to be more uh, uh, we need to think about this. Okay. That so that uh, means that means that now after all these experiments, one one important conclusion is that to just only interpret uh, activity in frontal cortex in terms of goal monitoring is not sufficient anymore. There yeah. might also be some more non-specific memory effects playing out. Yes. This is what you're saying. We need to. We, I'm saying that. We, when we, we know that the task, uh, there is a task requirement and we see a representation that we think, okay, we have this representation because there is that t- task requirement. Mm. Maybe it's not because we have the task requirement. Exactly. Maybe even without it, mm. we would have that representation. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So, but uh, would you have any difference in the physiological signature of these responses, like a, a non-specific memory response? Uh, so that it's not dependent on a specific task requirement. Mm. Might, for instance, have a different latency, a different yeah. amplitude. Are there any differences there that help uh, you? Because we are comparing different tasks, different monkeys, just a proportion of cells that are selective. Uh, so it's very yeah. difficult now to say. I would say that the proportion of cells is not so different. Mm-hmm. I can, and the task is different, has different requirements. So it's very difficult okay. to compare latencies. Mm-hmm. would be interesting, I think, mm-hmm. to continue this line of research with chronic recording and to see and manipulating right. the experiment mm-hmm. and to understand yeah. this is the way to mm-hmm. do instead of doing multiple experiments right, exactly. comparing them. Mm. So now so so now we know we, we have sort of different pools of cells, at least around sort of goal monitoring and memory. Yes. And mm-hmm. so now we have an evolving task, right? So I have one trial, I succeed or not, I go to the next one and so on. What's the information transfer between these trials? Uh, what do I carry over in information? Right? These, these last experiments you described, you try to assess in detail. Look, I have a task configuration. Mm-hmm. I have a goal. I have an action. I get a reward or not. Yes. And now I get my next trial. Mm-hmm. Right? So the question is, okay, 
of this trial at t is 1, what's the information that I really carry over to the trial at t plus 10? Yeah. Uh, we yeah we I think that we need to design an experiment mm -hmm. to see under which condition we we have mm, a memory activity that goes over the monitor mm -hmm. activity. It is something more than a monitor. But, but I thought you were suggesting today that actually only information on the previous goal yeah. really moves yeah. over. So for example, you can introduce random mistakes. For example, sometimes you don't give a reward to a monkey. Mm -hmm. And what happened next in the next trial? Is the monkey starting to represent something? more than this because it needs to reconsider the rule of the task and maybe we start to monitor mm -hmm. even the characteristics of a second stimulus right yeah so this is this would be my if mm. i could do 10 experiments this is uh, at the same one. time I, this okay. would be one of uh, them <laughs> so now we looked at prefrontal cortex so but but in terms of territory how big a percentage of this of the neocortex do we call prefrontal cortex but we have uh, we have we have to distinguish granular and granular mm -hmm. prefrontal cortex and uh, uh, the granular prefrontal cortex we can study only in primates mm -hmm. and this is a primate innovation the granular prefrontal cortex also the, um, the rodents have a prefrontal cortex but it's just a granular right. so it depends on what we consider and uh, but the granular prefrontal cortex probably is uh, mm, it has um, a role, an important role in... No, but this would be about one third of the cortical sheet in uh, in primates? It could be around one, maybe one third. I, mm -hmm. I can't right. tell exactly So it, it's quite a chunk, yeah. it's quite yeah, a chunk yeah, of cortical, okay? Yeah, yeah. So then the question becomes, how many it's subdivisions big. of this should we really consider? Uh, we can uh, consider a lateral part of the prefrontal cortex and um, a more mm, orbit orbitofrontal uh, part that sometimes is associated to the ventrolateral or to the more medial dorsal mm -hmm. dorsomedial prefrontal cortex. Mm -hmm. So it depends on the scheme of connection that you consider. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the classification is uh, still um, depends on what you consider important if it is the connections, mm -hmm. the, uh, to have a common input, a common output, uh, uh, or you look at more at the functions or different functions of the prefrontal cortex. But is there consensus on this in the field? There is there is uh, consensus about macroscopic divisions. Okay. Yes, mm -hmm. but uh, when we look at uh, each microscopic division, you can have more or less subdivision mm -hmm. based on how much you want to be specific, how much you want to divide. So in anatomy, we never have a perfect number of areas right. to because. Uh, also, the neurophysiology cannot follow um, because we just now with neuroimaging, with new, with um, uh, make with the possibility to do an, a magnetic uh, resonance to mm -hmm. a monkey, we know more about the location. But uh, it's, it's still difficult to target specifically a part of the mm -hmm. orbitofrontal cortex. So when you see, for example, as results about orbitofrontal cortex, they don't distinguish too much mm -hmm. the, all the areas that Carmichael and Price is divided the uh, orbitofrontal cortex. So sometimes it, it, we have the, the tendency to divide more, mm -hmm. to be more precise, to see differences. But sometimes when it is too much, we cannot use it to understand the neurophysiology. Right, so exactly. it's very difficult to understand with, mm -hmm. with is the right level mm -hmm. in making divisions. Right. Yeah. So now would you say your monkeys do learn this task the same way humans would? The, we know that uh, the problem is for a monkey is to understand the rule of the games, mm -hmm. as usual. So it's very difficult, you know, to understand, um, to compare. Okay. Because they need to understand at the beginning, the touching the screen <laughs> can sure. produce something. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, it's very difficult for mm -hmm. also for the monkey to uh, uh, eliminate all the potential alternative to mm -hmm. a task. For example, the monkey can focus on the fact that it needs to choose the stimulus on the top always. Mm -hmm. And after try the stimulus on the bottom. And, mm -hmm. and maybe the monkey find the solution, might go back again. Mm -hmm. to, so it's very... It's mm -hmm. an exploration of uh, of possibilities. Right. The training. So, so for your test, how long do you train these monkeys usually? Uh, can be, let's say, non rarely less than six months, one year. Right. So exactly. I can reach two years. Right. Uh, one a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. So Aldo, to 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 finish up our our conversation, there there are two things. So you're um, you're reworking now on, on monkey physiology for for quite a while, yeah. and you have gained. Also, amazing insights in, in how this system works, despite all the unclarities. But this is yeah. also the the research aspect of it. So, but now, if we would have to 
if we would like to follow your example in the study of the brain, what would be Aldo's law? Mm, Aldo's law is difficult to define, uh, but um, I think that what I what I try to do was always to be kind of at the frontier of the field, like uh, with the frontal pole we were the first, with the time we were um, among the first. So I like to be one of the first to do something. So this mm -hmm. is, that was kind of a rule that is uh, um, on the other opposite, you may be interested in only one subject and to be a, a specialist of only mm -hmm. one thing. So I, ch I chose the other right. law. <laughs> novelty. <laughs> the novelty. Yes. I like the novelty <laughs> and get bored after a while. <laughs> right. So I like some new challenge. Great. So, so far it was like this. But so although, so five years from now, we're going to come visit you wherever you are. Yeah. Now you're in Rome. And I'm going to confront you with the prediction you're going to make today. So I'm going to ask you, look, Aldo, you predicted X. Did it happen or not? So mm. what's, the, what's the, the one prediction you would like to make today that you're most... I, I would like to be able to record, um, let's say, more neurons and more, more areas together uh, mm -hmm. simultaneously to understand really how uh, a circuit made of different areas, like mm -hmm. we were saying, the frontal pore and the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex mm -hmm. work together. So I, I would like next time to answer more questions. Some of the questions <laughs> no, I was... <laughs> I don't let you get so, away so easily. I yeah, want a hypothesis on prefrontal uh, cortex. Yeah, no, well, I'm very interested in social cognition. So okay. I think that the next step will be... Uh, talking about novelty. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I w I'm not continuing studying time, but I'm moving to social interaction. I want to understand really what all these signals, if all these signals that I found previously apply to the representation of a different agent that mm -hmm. is interacting with us. So the new challenge is, is social, I think. So in five years' time, you think you have shown that the prefrontal cortex is the substrate for social cognition? For some aspects. Okay. I hope at least for some aspects. Great. So Aldo Genovinozzi, thank you very much for this conversation. Thank you, Paul. Mm -hmm. Thank you for inviting me here. The CSN podcast was produced by the Convergent Science Network of Biomimetics and Biohybrid Systems, a project funded by the European 7th Research Framework Programme. For more interviews, recorded lectures, or upcoming conferences in the field of biomimetics and biohybrid systems, go to csnnetwork.eu. And thank you for listening.